Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. This has been the most bizarre week in the history of sports. Um, for me personally, I never would have imagined having to make the drive back to Cincinnati in March. Um, I would like to say that I, I do really feel for anyone who's been impacted by the coronavirus uh, in any capacity. And just along with everyone and all the players and coaches in the baseball community where so many players have worked so hard and put so much time in just to see it all put on hold. Um, you know, like I said, if there's anything that I can do to help anyone, any player during this time, please reach out to me, uh, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. Resilient. This would be the one word to describe TJ Bruce. After his playing career ended, he decided he wanted to get into coaching. He first started coaching at a junior college where he was making $5,000 a year while supporting his wife, who was still in school. He was passed over three times while he was a volunteer assistant at Long Beach State for a paid position. He never gave up. After he became the head coach at the University of Nevada, he unfortunately had a player pass away, and two weeks later, his dad passed away. He held it all, all together and became a stronger man. He did all of this while becoming one of the most well-known college recruiters in the country, won a national championship, and had a family with four kids. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome on T.J. Bruce. All right, we are now live with T.J. Bruce, who is the head baseball coach at the University of Nevada. T.J., thanks for coming on today. No, no problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, we're you know we're recording this. What is it? March eleventh today. March twelfth. Um, you know, just found out Major League Baseball has been suspended. Uh, NBA suspended. Now college baseball. They've completely canceled the College World Series. As a Division One college baseball coach, now that you're not necessarily playing to get to Omaha or anything else, I mean, what what do you tell your players right now because of the coronavirus situation? Yeah, it's it's. I think we're in we're in uncharted waters a little bit, trying to navigate as a, not only just a small community in Reno, but as a baseball community. And um, you know, I think the biggest the biggest stressor for us is going to be we just still got to get better. And I think if you do that over time um, in any sport you're doing, that's that's really what you're trying to do. You're just trying to get better. So today we had an opportunity to get better, whether. It, whether it was the coronavirus or an injury, uh, whatever it may be. So that's what we're trying to tell our guys at the moment is get better. We got a lot of young players that will be back with us next year. Um, so we're still working on strength, mobility, um, all the above, all the baseball stuff. So that's the message. That's the message. You know, we just can't stop because of a little hiccup. We just got to continue to move forward. So are, are you guys allowed to continue to practice? Yeah, so at our at our institution, we're allowed. So um, I know some have uh, been reading. Some other institutions are not uh, pra conducting practices. I know some schools in football um, they aren't allowing their coaches off campus to recruit, and they're not allowing recruit recruits to come on campus. So as of right now, we are allowed to do what we need to do to function on a day to day operational standpoint the baseball program at Nevada. So where you can practice, we can inter-squad, we can go out and see players, we can have players come on. Now, who knows, the rapid rate we're changing the rules or this and that with what's happening uh, with the coronavirus, We that could change. Have you been in contact with uh, any other college coaches about the coronavirus, uh, just crazy situation? Yeah, I mean, obviously I, I was at UCLA for a long time and um, – so I have been in contact with Coach Savage uh, quite a bit throughout the day, and he's been keeping me up to breast on just the national scene. Um, and so they're, they're going to conduct it as well. Now they got finals a little bit, so they're, they're, they got finals starting on Monday to where we have spring break starting on Monday. Um, so it's a little bit different, but they are not practicing today. But I think as they move forward, they're going to practice as of about noon when the last time we spoke. Gotcha. Well, I, uh, you know, one of my colleagues is Ty Moore, who, uh, you know, went to UCLA. You coached at UCLA. He spoke uh, really highly of you and just said you'd be a, 
an awesome guest to have on the show because you have <laughs> such a cool story. Um, and I've, I've been looking up, uh, you know, your bio and everything. And so it looks like you started out playing out of high school. You went to uh, junior college. Is that correct? Yep. So, yeah, I went to Cerritos Junior College. Okay. So you went, you, you played there for, and then transferred to Texas Tech, which I saw you yep. hit over, hit over 300, played in 55 games. So you were an everyday starter. Why did you decide then to transfer um, to Long Beach State? Well, it's it's funny. It's uh, not funny, really, but um, it just it it was one of those things that didn't work out. I think it was a it was a mutual thing for sure. Um, you know, whether it was me or them, um, it just so happened. I did, I did. I played every day. Played shortstop every day for them. Um, but in most cases, when you don't have the season that the program wanted to. Um, you know, there's changes need to need to be made, and and I was always aware of that. Um, and so there were some things that I need to change too. I needed a little different change of senior. I need to go back to where I'm from and where I'm comfortable comfortable in terms of the the type of style we play. Um, and coming from Cerritos College, where George Horton and Dave Snow and Mike Weathers and all these guys played for under Wally Kincaid. Um, there was a certain style that we played and so it, it was it was mutual um, so I went back home and and played at Long Beach State and I wanted to go to Omaha that was that was really the bottom line um, I probably should have gone to Long Beach State right out of junior college but uh, you know there's different avenues everybody gets led on and um, I didn't but it was the best decision really of my life for me to go back home and play in front of my family and friends and be on a really good team and unfortunately personally didn't have the didn't have the success that's that's for sure but uh it helped me grow as a human being so that that's that's the biggest thing when you say style of play what do you mean well i just i think i think when you're looking at things uh you know west coast right there's everybody plays a little different but coming from cerritos college i played I played at St. John Bosco High School, who my high school coach played for um, Coach Gaylord at Cerritos College. Um, and the Cerritos way, and, and, you know, Wally Kincaid started this thing long, long time ago uh, at Cerritos College. Like I said, George and um, Coach Snow and Bill Moziello and Brian Hunter and all these guys have come through there. And there was just a certain tough toughness of style that was that was um being played and being put on you the mental toughness uh, the physical toughness and that that's that's what I grew up playing in high school just based on my coach playing at Cerritos and then obviously I went into Cerritos and had to relearn some things and had to get tougher um and it, it led me to a lot of what I believe in nowadays because I've had that training um, of Cerritos College style baseball, and it carried on. I ended up being back at Long Beach State, where my coach played for Coach Kincaid, and that's how we were at Long Beach. And there was the the dirtbag style, the toughness, and um, that's really what it was about. So when you were at uh, Long Beach State, I assume you played with Evan Longoria and Tulitsky and all those guys. Well, so I didn't play with Evan. I was a I was a graduate. I was a uh, undergraduate assistant in '05, and I coached Evan. But I didn't play with Evan. I played with Tulo. Um, I played with Brad Davis, who played in the big leagues. Um, our pitching rotation was Jared Weaver, Cesar Ramos, and Jason Vargas, who were all in the big leagues. Um, played with John Falker, who was our left fielder, who played in the big leagues. Um, so we had six guys off that team that were, that were major league players. And obviously Jared, um, Jason and Tulo were, I mean, they went on to have big, big time careers. Um, but I had a chance to coach Evan in, in 2005, went back there in 08, had a chance to coach Danny Espinosa and some of those guys, Shane Peterson moving forward, uh, before I went on to UCLA. Yeah, that, that's insane to have that many major leaguers on one team. What uh? So you were a graduate assistant when you came back, and then did you transition into uh, just a full time assistant coach there? Well, so in '05, um, in '05, I, I, did, I didn't go into professional baseball. Um, I still had to finish my degree. So Coach Weathers ends up calling and saying, "Hey, can we um, can, can we bring you back as undergrad?" And I wasn't really sure. I was in limbo, right? Everybody 
everybody thinks you're going to play in the big leagues. Well, when you hit 180 in college, you're not going really anywhere. Um, so you, they probably should have sent me back to junior college to figure out how to, how to hit. Uh, so I went back as undergrad in 05, finished my degree. And then after the 05 season, Coach Weller said, hey, you've been here for two years as a player, as a coach. You need to find out if you want to coach. And it's going to take a big time commitment, but I, I need to see that commitment before we move forward with you here. And so he didn't fire me, but he told me I had to leave. Um, and so I, I left and I went to junior college and I made, so I went back to my junior college in 06 and, uh, made $5,000 and got married in 06. Um, so we, uh, we were obviously strikingly rich, I guess, right at five grand a year. Um, and then after 06, the 06 season ended, or I guess it was the, yeah, the 06 season ended coach Weathers brought me back for the seven season through 2010 as the volunteer assistant. So as the volunteer assistant, you're making no money. Uh, you're working late at night. Uh, I was working in the mornings actually. I ended up going working, doing, uh, some, some dock work down at the long beach docks from five to noon every day. So I did that from 2007 through 2010, uh, cause I wasn't getting paid. You did that for was three years. Here. Yeah. So seven, eight, nine, four, seven, eight, nine, and 10. Holy smokes. I mean, yeah, how, how, did you, how did you and your wife make it by? Well, she was going to school also. So I made about $12 an hour was where I graduated. I forget what minimum wage was, but I ended up graduating to like 12 or 13 bucks an hour. Um, but the problem was I wasn't getting paid when we would leave for a weekend trip. You know, you leave on Thursday through Sunday, uh, so you're an hourly worker. So there was hours that I was missing out on. Um, but we had some help, obviously, from our parents, and we had full support of, of both sides of parents, um, you know, to a degree. And then uh, once my wife got her teaching credential, then she went in to teach, and then she was the breadwinner making, I don't know, probably 25 30,000 and we lived in a really really bad t- part of town in Long Beach North Long Beach um in some apartments that were that was all we could afford they were about 1200 bucks a month and um that's all we could do um and it was a it was a rough year it was a rough part of town for sure so but uh sticking together you know just like any team so we stuck together and made it through that is Absolutely insane. During those four years, was was there ever a point where like I, I need to get a real job? I just I don't know what else I can do. Yeah, you, you know, I I think there 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 was a lot of time really as you're going through there. You know, plus not only that, as you're going through, we had some coaching changes on our staff at Long Beach, and so I was never bumped up to be the paid assistant. You know, so here again, you're getting all these guys passed over. You're getting passed over, passed over. And right or wrong, I mean, I respect I respect the business. I know it's a business, um, so I respect the business, and I really loved my head coach and loved where I was at, and I wasn't ready at the time. Um, and so, you know, I think during that time that I was at Long Beach, we had three assistants that were brought in from outside, other outside places, and um, that were hired. And so, in 2010, my mentor slash boss retired. So I ended up, um, you know, I ended up going, I was going to the summer to, in 2010, I was going to summer ball. I had to quit my job on the docks. I was going to be the head coach in Alaska. So we had a daughter at the time. Uh, we had no insurance. It was during the summer. So my wife's not working. So I made $4,000 coaching in Alaska and I was gone for three months. And then, um, the guy that, uh, ironic, right? The guy that took over Ford, who I, he was an assistant when I was a player there and a coach there for a little bit, he ended up taking over for my boss. And so I didn't get kept on as a full-time assistant. So coach Buckley didn't keep, keep me on. Um, and so I told my wife after 2010, Hey, after the summer, I'm done. I'm going to, I gave it a fair chance. I grinded. I showed people that I really want to do this. And if it doesn't work out, then God's not says it's not meant to be, and 
So I'm going to go do something else and get out of baseball. And then I got a call in July from Coach Savage. Changed my life. Incredible journey. I mean, <laughs> that is uh... – <laughs> That, that's that's unbelievable that he, i mean you've definitely they always say you know you, you got to pay your dues you've definitely sure. paid your dues <laughs> yeah I feel, and i feel that too you know i feel like I, I feel good about that part i feel good that i was you know you were told that you couldn't coach or you weren't ready and then you just you kept grinding and kept grinding and kept grinding and then sure enough um it paid off and Coach Savage called me in July and asked me if I was interested in the UCLA job. And I was like, are you crazy? Of course I am. And, um, you know, the rest is history. Then, then, then you start, then it becomes a little different because now it's, it's real. You know, you're, you're recruiting, you're developing. Um, but the other thing that was real too, is you had to step outside of your comfort zone. I was only comfortable with Long Beach state baseball. Um, I spent five years there as a player and a coach. So I, I really only knew that way. And, um, now you step out on your own and now you're realizing, can you really coach? And now you're not only coaching at, at the division one level, you're coaching for the team that just lost the national championship game. So it's either Omaha or bust essentially in that program. So now you're you got a different chip on. Of course, the chip on my shoulder was I'm going to prove everybody wrong. I mean, I, I was told I couldn't coach. Uh, my own alma mater didn't hire me. Um, that's it. I'm going to go out on this war path and I'm, I'm going to develop and coach and teach and do what I think I know how to do. So when you finally get to UCLA, like you said, already an extremely successful program. I mean. Um, been able to, to put out a lot of really good players and teams. What's like, what's your, do you have a game plan of like what you want to do? Well, uh, yeah, I think you do. Um, but I was so fortunate to be under coach Savage. I mean, I think he's one of the best coaches in the history of college baseball. I mean, um, so I was so fortunate just to be led by him. Um, and then the other thing is too, I, the other assistant was Rick Vanderhoek who's obviously he's been Omaha 12 times, uh, been a few times as a head coach at Fullerton and then obviously as an assistant. So you want to talk about, A, my my boss was John Savage, which was the fact that I'm in the same office and sharing the same uniform as him. Um, I was so humbled to do that. But then secondly, I also had an assistant that was right next to me that was as successful as Rick Manderhood. So um, really my only job was to, stay out of everybody's way and follow the lead of of what coach savage set and that was easy because he's such a tremendous leader so that part for me adjusting to that was 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 pretty easy um in terms of who to follow what to do how to act how to walk how to dress all the above because you have to go do it over and over again and differently because it's a new program um, so that part was easy now the, the expectations and the work and 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 that that that's a whole nother. Uh, that's a whole nother thing. Is what are you looking at? What's a Pac-12 player? What's a UCLA player? Because um, every program has their own niche for players and what they're looking for. When you th- when you think of UCLA and, and the Pac-12 in general, I more specifically UCLA and the success that, that they've had. Would you say is, is it fair to say that the school, in a sense, recruits itself? And what I'm getting at is, do you have to go out and watch just as many games as a mid-major school or can you just go to the big tournaments and just kind of pick and choose the best ones because it is UCLA well I think I think it you know having the four letters that helps right that's a huge deal I mean you have a under a one percent chance if you're a normal student at getting into UCLA you know so that's crazy right so the fact that you have sports and you got the four letters across your chest I think that helps um, secondly, I think when you have a chance to play for John Savage, you jump at the opportunity, in my opinion. You know, I have two boys. Um, hopefully one day, I hope Coach is still coaching by then. And, and you know, if, if they have a chance to play for him, they're going to play for him, whether I have to pay for it or not. Um, so that's that's the second thing. But but the third, the third part um, really is, is you're competing. Each school is competing not only with each other, but you know, our, our whole thinking then was we're UCLA. So we're competing against the major, uh, major league baseball draft, essentially. 
Mm. We're going after the same program or the same players that they are. Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer, Pat Valleca, Kevin Kramer. Uh, Austin Hedges was a UCLA commit and signee. Max Freed was a UCLA commit. Lucas Giolito was a UCLA commit. So we were going after the same players as, as Major League Baseball. And that, in turn, is how you're going to get to where you got to get to. It's no different when you turn on the TV in Omaha. I mean, Arkansas has 10 guys that are 92 to 95. 10. Um, they got the shortstop that's 6'3", 210. That can hit from both sides of the plate. You know, so I, I, that's how we looked at it in terms of recruiting, and it was a great model because we did. And those guys that didn't make it to school, but they, they signed for $3 million. You'll take that bet any day of the week versus, you know, the guys that signed for 100 k you know, so I, I feel like that's who, what we thought. Um, and we didn't really go coastal per se. Um, you know, so you ever once in a while you would, and I think I, you would run into Vanderbilt, you would run into South Carolina, you run into Florida, but though all those schools are doing the same thing. They are competing with major league baseball in terms of, they are looking for the same players as major league baseball. So that's, that's how the recruiting model um, was and the biggest deal was getting involved with good families and, and if you're doing that with the model of getting major league players then you're you need really good families that value education that value development therefore most of those guys will either a sign for life-changing money or b they will end up at school at UCLA and you have a chance to be really good what was your recruiting pitch to to someone who uh, was drafted pretty high um, but obviously you still want them to go to school with you yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's it's no different than I would imagine what the teams are developing and what their the teams are doing and and each every program it's about development and the college experience and um, all the above. I mean, you have a chance to, you know, the the and I've never played professional baseball, so I don't know, but I do believe some kids are better off signing and some are better off at going to school and vice versa, whatever. But um, you know, the atmosphere is a little different in professional baseball, I would imagine. You know, to come to where college, you still have a chance to be a kid or you still have a chance to go to football games and do all that stuff. It's different. Um, I don't think there's a right, there's a wrong. Um, both of them have their pros for sure. Um, so it, it's just really that you're just trying to be as transparent with the kids as they can be. Um, and that, that's your job. That's what you owe the families. So it wasn't bashing this. It wasn't bashing that. It's always like, hey, here's the facts of it. Here's the history of this. Here's what we think. And then and other te- other schools and teams and clubs and all that stuff, they all do the same thing. You're, uh, you're, you're pretty much well-known as, as one of the best recruiters in the country and, and have been since you've been at UCLA. What, like, what do you think makes you such a good recruiter? I mean, in just kind of a, um, a short sentence. Not in sentence, but maybe just elaborate just <laughs> a little bit on, on what makes you such a good recruiter. Well, I think number one, you got to be able to evaluate. And that goes back into, you know, my time spent at Long Beach and then my time, obviously, um, under Coach Savage. You know, I think that's number one. And, and I don't mean evaluate the guy that's 94 to 96. I mean, who can't see that? But I think it's it's getting the surrounding players um, around those those guys that will that will breed winning. So the makeup, the mentality, how's that? There's not enough time nowadays, in my opinion, spent on the phone with these guys. Do these guys play other sports? Um, go talk to their friends. You know, and that's something that we've gotten back into at Nevada right now is, you know, you got to dive a little deeper because of different things in the NCAA. So I think evaluating and the last and the second thing is relationships. I think you have to be able to develop these these relationships with these kids that they trust you and that you know you're not going to steer them down the wrong path. We're not telling you you're going to get to the big leagues or not, but I am telling you this is what I can do for you, and that's develop you as a man, and the rest, we'll see what happens. The rest is up to you. Yeah, that's that's awesome stuff right there. Um, and I, I definitely agree with you. I think the relationships are so, so huge. And I, I also liked how you said how you know, it's anyone can look at someone throwing 95, 96 and be like, yeah, like that's a great player. Like, no kidding, but to be able to kind of develop, that's just a, another ball game. Um, 
obviously you, you you're now at Nevada. What was the like a situation like? So you were at UCLA, you had the option to go to Nevada. Why did you end up taking that that gig instead of staying at UCLA? Yeah, you know it's a good question. I called Coach Savage, and I remember I'm, I'm emotional about it because I don't really know what to do. I feel like I'm if I left, I would be letting him down and. Um, you know, he, he was really good about it. He's from Reno. So that part, um, for him and I were, were a lot easier than if I was just picking up and going anywhere. Um, but he, he, he just re really reemphasized that I was ready. Um, even though at the time I was 32 and he said, Hey, you're ready to go. Um, you need to go spread your wings and, and obviously we'd love to keep you, but I, I do think this is a great opportunity and a great community and city and a place that you can win. And that, that was ultimately um, what we talked about most of, most of the art conversations about all that stuff. And so I, I ended up stepping out on my own. There again, I think it, it's scary, right? It's scary because now everything is your fault. Now, um, if the program doesn't succeed, it's you're, you are you are to blame in a sense um, to where, you know, as an assistant, you can always hide behind the head coach because this this and that even though you may make a lot of decisions um, on recruiting or running an offense or defense or whatever but um, it was scary and I think sometimes when guys you see a lot of guys don't go on their own maybe because they don't believe in themselves or trust themselves but I, I was ready for the challenge and it's a challenge there, there's no question but anything you do is a challenge being married is a challenge being a dad is a challenge all the above is a challenge but to be great at it you got to accept the challenge and trust yourself and trust where you come from and lean on those experiences and that's what I've done here yeah I was actually going to say earlier uh your wife is definitely definitely a keeper I mean to be you know <laughs> to be with you this entire journey I mean she she's definitely the one <laughs> Yeah, she's great, man. She's um, she's a coach's wife through and through, um, but we we've had some help too. You know, I, I definitely I definitely don't think unless you come from a coach's background in terms of family, you were raised by a coach or whatnot. I definitely think it, it, it is difficult at times and can be challenging. Um, no question, just like being a married to a minor league player. You know, it's challenging at times and you can never really prepare, but we've had some help. I mean, we, we had Lisa Savage who was a huge mentor for my wife. Um, just as coach was with, with me, you know, she grew up a, a coach's daughter. Um, so having that relationship and, um, coach Weathers, who I coach for was married, has been married for years and years. And Charlotte was a huge deal. So we've had help. We, we haven't definitely haven't done it all by ourselves. And there's been trying times where we've had people to lean on. And that that have our best interests and can kind of try and navigate us as best we can through um, the, the the tough waters at times. How do you balance having um, a family with four kids and a wife, <laughs> plus being the head coach of a of a Division One baseball program? Like, I mean, how do you even? I mean, it, do you just write everything down? Like, how do you go about that? Well, I'm fortunate to be married who I am married to. So I don't do, I hate to admit it. Uh, I don't do a lot at home. I mean, I don't, I don't make a lot of decisions. Um, I'm not there for practices. Uh, I don't, I'm not there to take kids to school. Uh, I'm not there for school picture. I, I don't, I don't, my wife allows me to coach and she allows me to run a program. Um, I do do what I can when I'm around. Um, if we're off one day, then I'll try, you know, the, the biggest luxury about living in Nevada, you know, in Reno, I, I live two miles away from the school, you know, to where UCLA, I live 40 miles, you know, and in LA traffic, that's two hours. You know, so you had to beat the traffic, get up early, this and that. So I do have opportunities now to stay and take my son and my daughters to school or whatnot. But the key is, is my wife. That's the key. She lets me do what I need to do. Um, she understands it. She knows what we're chasing. Um, so she gets it, and that that's the biggest deal. I, I, I can't take any credit for that. <laughs> what, uh, what was one thing uh, that was unexpected that you found, whether it be a good or bad thing, um, about being a head coach that you, you didn't know you would kind of feel or figure out? Yeah, you know, and, and it, it was tough. So I, I took the job in July 
um, I took the job in July. So July one, call it of 2015. And you think it's just baseball, you know, and that's what it looks like from the outside in. You think it's baseball. You think it's just recruiting stuff that, you know, but, um, within the first six weeks, we had a, we had an incoming player who I obviously didn't recruit. He got to campus. He passed away two weeks later. Wow. So now son, the first, you know, I'm going to say the first two weeks I was on the job with players and with a program here, um, you had a player pass away, a guy that had relationships with incoming players may have had relationships. And he did with, uh, players that were his host on the recruiting visits or whatnot. Um, and then two weeks later, my dad died unexpectedly. So at 32, um, my first head coaching job, I walked into and I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is what it's going to be. And then all of a sudden you're hit with two things that are near and dear to your heart. And the other side is my family was back in Southern Cal. You know, my wife was staying down there because she just got the principal job of her school. So now we had some challenges. Um, and I, I think that would be, you know, the wins and losses, I think perspective is the biggest deal. The wins and losses um, are great. You know, I have won a national title. Uh, I would love to win another one. But right then and there, 32 on a new job, you are now not only the coach, you're the leader, um, you're their friend, you're their counselor, you're their confidant. You become all these different things that you, you weren't expecting. And how could you expect it? Because you can't prepare for those situations. How how were you able to to kind of again at only at thirty two in your first year, those two different situations back to back when you just got the job? How were you able to, to kind of hold everything together and just keep it going? Support, you know, I had I had this community. This community is unbelievable. Community, uh, our AD was great. Uh, my family was great. Um, Coach Savage was great. Coach Weathers was all my mentors that got me to this point, that's where you have to go back and lean on them. Um, Cause I don't have the answers and I don't really know, but I, I think as you're going through your life and whatever job you are, you may want more within your job, but I will tell you, you better be paying attention to what the people above you are doing. You know, where you are in a time where everybody just wants some the next guy's job, which is great. And it, it creates competition, but you better pay attention to, what's happening around you and fortunately for me i had good leaders and i did pay attention so you just watch how they navigated maybe not the same situations but something similar um whatever it may be so that that's how we did it and obviously the, the um i'm a big man in my face so the trust in god i mean you know things happen um things happen and but you got to trust that there's a bigger plan and um i did i, I did that Wow, that's that's uh that's pretty inspiring stuff. Um, kind of switching back over to uh, to baseball and and the, and the program yep. itself. When you when you got there, was, was did you put in a completely new system like philosophies for offense and, and pitching and everything, or how did you kind of go about changing the uh, the baseball culture? Well, you you know, I walked into a team that won forty games the year prior, so. You, you definitely didn't walk into a system or a program that was struggling that won, won 10 games. You still got to put your own spin on it. Um, now, we lost a lot of guys. Um, and then once I took over, or once the old coach left, a lot of the recruits left. So we had one recruit that stayed. You know, so we ended up going through a game of 60 games with 10 position players. Jeez. Um, which is crazy. And, and half of them were brand new. Um, so we ended up going through that season, but you know, I, I think your system, I think you've got to have some non-negotiables and I think you've got to have some stuff for a program that you will not stand for, or this is how you're going to do it. But I think your system, your hitting, your pitching, it's going to, a lot of it's going to be based on your personnel. Are we going to be more of a skilled team an action team versus are we going to sit back and, and hit, you know, that first year we were really fast and really left-handed and, so we became more West Coast style, hit and run, uh, drag and push, stole some bases to where you fast forward two years later when we won our league, we led the league in home runs. 
you know, so we were super offensive and we, we never sack bunted. Uh, we led our league in home runs and we were last in our league in sack bunts. So, you know, I, I think, I think it's just based on your personnel and anybody that tells you different. I, I just don't think that's wrong. I think that's wrong. I think, you know, offensive coordinators will tell you the same thing. It's all based on your quarterback and who you have. You can't put a package in if you don't have the personnel for it. So do you man pretty much the uh, the offense? Yeah, I do. So um, I, I, I actually did both the last two years, so 18 and 19 seasons. I, I did all the pitching and the offense. Um, here we were fortunate enough to hire Coach Buckley, um, so he does all of our pitching, and then now I'm just on the position player side. What do you make of all the different stuff that you see? Um, I know you're on social media, but you just you see online, sure. and um, just what do you think of all that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I, I, I think I think there's always it's information, right? And I think no matter how, I think you got to be open to information because I think all information is good whether you think it affects you in a good way, a bad way or not, I, I do think information is good because you'll be able to sift through the right information to pass along to your players. Um, but I do think you got to spoon feed them. I, I think you got to stay with fundamentals. I think you've got to, I mean, you can't run before you, you can walk, you know? So I, I think of how you're doing that, how you're presenting the information to your players and how you're telling them not to make more of, of this situation or that, that, inf- or that information or whatnot, because they're seeing it as well. You just, you better stay on top of how they're interpreting it. That's what I, that's, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like the way you put that. And I just think that, you know, like you said, players ha- are going to have access to all this information as well. And, you know, hopefully they, well, I guess it's not necessarily bad if they try some of the stuff out, but hopefully there's a there's a reasoning behind it. Because um, at the end of the day, we just want them to be successful on the field, and everyone's a little bit different. So maybe for some, it could you know kind of click and and make them uh, make them be more more successful um, at the plate. Now, when it comes yeah, to I mean, I, I, go ahead, yeah, for sure, go ahead. No, and I, I think you know I think that's where your system and trust and relationship comes in right away. You know, do they trust where you've been or what you've done? And then, therefore, in return, do you trust them that they will not go so far sideways or so far outside the box that they forget who they are? Totally. What What about the mental game? I think that's such an important part of sure. the offense, just hitting and just well, really just baseball in general. And it's not really – it's definitely overlooked because it's not as much fun to talk about as the new technology and mechanics and everything – um, have you have you implemented anything in terms of helping guys with their mental game? Yeah, so the so when I was at Long Beach and UCLA, we used a guy by the name of Ken Revisa. Oh yeah, who unfortunately Ken passed away a year ago. But um, you know, so we learned from the best. We learned from the Godfather of the mental game. Um, I used it as a player and as a coach for the last ten years. And then as we got here, we used actually my old coach. Coach Weathers, who was with Ken from 92 through his career at Long Beach, 2010, um, as an assistant and head coach. So we used uh, Coach Weathers up until 2019, and we still do use um, Coach um, quite a bit, but now it's become on us um, in terms of coaches. So I, I think it's how important how important do you make it? Because I think right now in, in NCAA, the hour restrictions, the time limits, you know, so everybody thinks you got to practice more. Well, no, not really physically practice. You better start practicing the mental game more. Yep. In our opinion, and that's what we've been able to do here, and that's what we've done. So we've made it important to us um, uh, on what it is and what it stands for and how you can use it, because as you know, you're going to use the mental game a lot more in your personal life than you ever will on a baseball field. Um, so I think it's important that these guys have a foundation in the fundamentals, just like they need to have fun. They need to be fundamentally sound physically. Yeah. I think a big part of it is, is also when it comes to the mental game is whatever your routine is. And again, there's some people that get into meditation. There's some people that 
it's just all sorts of different things, but it's just the consistency of it too. It's no different than, than hitting or throwing. You do it once a week. It's, you know, you're going to see very little, but you start doing it consistently uh, every day, then you're going to start to see some bigger results. No doubt. And we see it every day in terms of that's something you can always work on. Like if I'm a pitcher and I can't throw a bullpen every single day, you know, so I got limited time. I can be on the mound because of arm usage. I can always focus my mental game. You know, I can, Ken Revisi used to always say, you know, be where your feet are. Be, you know, Dave Snow came up with be where you need to be when you need to be there. So it's right now being on the phone. I need to be on the phone, not physically, but I need to be on the phone mentally. And I think if you can do that and limit, you know, limit distractions, you'll be more present. You'll be more productive. And you got to believe that you got to believe in the process of that. I was, uh, I was looking up some different, different coaches online who, who kind of are really big into the mental game. And one guy I ran across was Trevor Mohad. I think that's how you pronounce his last yep. name. Um, uh-huh. have you, have you looked into him, into him as well? Yeah. I, I mean, we have, um, now we haven't, we haven't used him, but I, I've read some of his stuff and, um, obviously I know Russell Wilson is a big advocate of him. Um, I think they, he, they use him quite a bit in Seattle. If not, I know Russell does it a lot by himself. So, um, but it's they, great stuff. I mean, they got, it's just so interesting how present the mind is not most of the time. Yeah. You know, so how can you bring yourself to present? Yeah, and what I what I really like about him is it's it's really he really makes it pretty simple, and he makes it where he talks about how you know very simply don't say anything negative about yourself out loud, right? Because anything you sure. say is ten times more powerful than something you think, and anything negative that you say is three to four times on top of that uh, more more empowering. So that's three hundred to four hundred times more empowering than if you just think it. So it's really important to not say anything negative about yourself out loud, and I. And I think that's something that's that's tangible for players. No, I think it's – I mean, people don't like to be around negative people. No. You know, so I, I think that's just an influence of people. You, every day our mouths have a chance to influence people. You know, so your mouth is essentially the rudder of your life, and your mouth speaks out what really comes from your heart. You know, and I think there's a process in all, in all of that stuff, and you got to believe in that. And uh, so I think that's great stuff. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, Ken Revisa used to have this toilet, a toy toilet we used to flush. And that was the end of the negative thoughts. That was the end of the bat, the end of the bat pitch, um, whatever. And once we flushed it, it was done. Um, you know, just simple things that are symbolic uh, to, get, to let go of those negative thoughts, if and when they creep in. Yeah, I love that. I love that. When you when you talk about when we, I know earlier we were talking about recruiting and recruits, um, I know eleven point seven scholarships is Division One. How do you decide how much an incoming recruit gets? Whether fifty percent, twenty five, eighty? Like how does how does how do you decide that? Well, I think everybody has their worth, and um, and that's just that's part of evaluating. You know, so when you're going out to evaluate, everybody has tools. And what tools are you working off of? And obviously, we know that what the pro scale is, um, college tools, there's no 80 arms in college or, or whatnot. You know, so you may have to dummy that down a little bit and work off of um, a, some different grades. A four in the pro scale is this. A four in college is above average player, let's say, or, or whatever it may be. So every every tool has a number. Every Every tool – the more tools, obviously, that they have, the higher the money is going to be able to go. You know, and I think, I think the one thing we do fall into the trap of, and I do it too all the time, is we do not – we are so scared to pay players in terms of increase their scholarship. Uh, hey, you see this guy, you value him pretty good. You think he's a frontline guy. You think he's an All-American. Well, then put him on scholarship like he's an All-American. You know, whether that's 50%, 60%, 70%, you, you're going to have to have those big chunks of scholarships to be successful teams. You can't have a bunch of 25% or this and that lower money players because then you're just going to end up being pretty average. And I think it's no doubt 
um, it could be the same in professional baseball. I mean, you're going to have to have some guys in there that you have to pay the one and two starters. You have to pay the shortstop. You have to pay, you know, the closer, you know, you have to pay those guys. And then you have the other guys that are just as impactful, which that's how your team is great. becomes great. Yeah, I, I, I definitely I, I agree. I really, really do. Um, you, you definitely got to get those big dogs in there. And, and sometimes, you know, especially when you're competing with other schools, um, you might have similar offers or, or whatever it may be. I mean, that, that money is not is important now. I guess on the flip side is, you know, you give them 60%, 70% and they come to school that first year and they stink. Right. And I think what you, <laughs> right, what, what sometimes happens is you see at these bigger schools is those guys aren't back the next year. Right. They're at a junior college. Sure. Um, what do you what do you make of, of that, of, of those bigger schools, sometimes recruiting players? And I've seen it even in the fall, the guys come in in the fall and they don't play well. They're on a big scholarship in the spring. They're at a junior college. Yeah, and I, I think that's a part of the false sense of security we create as a society, you know, and I, I, that's what I think, um, you know, and it's no different. I have a son that's six years old and he loves baseball and this and that, but I mean, if my son's no good, then he's no good. I need to tell him that he's, you know, maybe not in those words at this time, but I need to tell him like, hey, son, you need to work on this or this is what's going to happen when he gets to the point that he can understand that. But that's a, that's a part of parenting, you know. So I, I think I think you fix that if you if you fix that with your parenting, it's going to make my job a lot easier. You know, no different than when we have family weekend. Um, we've done it the last two years. We have family weekend every weekend. We bring all the families in. Um, this year we had over two hundred family members along with our players. Um, and the first sign on the, on the slideshow is if you do not want honest coaching, go home, Mm. you know, so part, so that, and it's no, it's, you don't mean to be demeaning, um, but you do mean to challenge and you do mean to be transparent. That's what you do owe these families. And I think there, again, I think that goes back into evaluation and recruiting. And I think as long as you clear cut that and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is where we do see you right now. Instead of just telling the guy, hey, I think you're going to start. But deep down, you know, he has no chance to start. That's where it becomes misleading. And I think that's where frustration lies amongst families um, and players and whomever is involved. Do you look at uh, junior college uh, players a decent amount? Yeah, we do. You know, I, I think I, I definitely do. I think there's a lot of good ones out there, and I think there's a lot of good JC programs that do a really good job. And you know, I, you know, I, I think you need those guys. You need impact guys to come in right away and play. And um, so we do. We do. We do quite a bit. Um, if I'm a recruit right now, listening to you, what what are some <laughs> of the the best best like things that you could kind of describe about going to the university of Nevada and playing baseball there? Well, I, I think, I think you have, you have a chance to be developed. I think people sell development um, because it's easy. It's like, you know, development and culture go to, you know, culture is the word, the buzzword right now. Um, but I think it's development. I, I think if you're, let's say if you're an infielder, um, uh, there's no reason why you're not going to come play for me per se at Nevada, because if development is key, then I've coached Tulo, Danny Espinosa, Evan Longoria, Pat Valeka, Kevin Kramer. There's five guys that are playing in the major league baseball right now that all played shortstop for me at one point in time. So why, so what are you going to tell me now that you're not in your development? You know, so that's part of the the question asking and say, hey, what's important to you? Oh, coach development. Okay, boom, here's what I got. And at any point in time, I can get Tulo on FaceTime and say, hey, here's what we got. Here's a video. Or I can send it to him and say, hey, I need you to break this down for me. Can you give me some help? Boom, boom, boom. And that's then there you have it. You know, the other side, obviously, guys want to go to places that win. Okay, well, we haven't been to a regional, let's say. And we haven't been in 20 years, and that's no lie, and I do not lie about that. But I will tell you what we have done here is we've won the most games in our league 
since the time I've been here. Fresno State has a national title. San Diego State, New Mexico, all these schools, UNLV, we've, Nevada's won the most games in, your, in our conference since we've been here. So there's development and there's winning, and now you got a coach that has a national championship ring. Not, there's not a whole lot of those around. Plus, we got a guy in our staff that has a World Series ring. So in my opinion, their development, 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 development. If that's what you're looking for, then you're coming to Nevada. Yeah, that's a pretty are you, good. Are you sold? Are you in or out? You in? Let's go. Come on. <laughs> oh, I love it. I mean, hey, if I'm a middle <laughs> infielder and you you just uh, say all those names and then get Tool on FaceTime, I mean, how could you say no to that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I think you know, and then, and then you add in the city, obviously, and you're in a small town, and you get 3,000 people a night at your game, and you go out to eat, and you feel, and the booster, not the booster, but the, the fan sees you, and they say, hey, how are you? Good job tonight. Great to see you. See you tomorrow. Good luck. That's a big deal. You know, I think if you're looking for that in that college atmosphere, I think, I don't see why you're not, you're not coming to Nevada. I actually I have heard I was actually talking to Ty about this earlier today um, at at the at practice is uh, Reno is a pretty cool city from what what he was telling me. Oh man, it's awesome! It's great. You know, you're about 40 minutes from Lake Tahoe, um, so that will take you to North Shore, South Shore. You're about an hour away. So at any point in time, you drive up for dinner. Um, it's an unbelievable city. Um, I'm fortunate to be here. Um, super fortunate to, to work and coach here and, and live here. So we, uh, my family loves it. Awesome. Well, TJ, you know, you've had a, an incredible journey, um, a great story, um, just a, a testament to hard work, perseverance, and it's, it's, it's inspiring, especially even you sharing about even when you just got the job and you got a couple more blows with your dad passing away and your player passing away and, um, it's just, it's really, really cool to just hear your story. And I, I, I'm excited to put this episode out so other people can hear about it as well. And, um, I just really appreciate you, you coming on the podcast and, um, just sharing everything, man. It's been great. No, no problem. Uh, thank you for having me. And if you ever need anything, please don't hesitate to give me a call. Fortunate to be, to be on your show. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. The only thing that I do request is if you got anything out of this show, please share it on social media, retweet it, text it to someone you might think would value it. Let's continue to grow this game even during the time where baseball is on hold. And until next week, thanks again for listening and stay safe.